0: Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Can someone please give me a mic check? بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والعاقبة للمتقين ولا عدوان إلا على الظالمين وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له إله الأولين والأخرين وأشهد أن نبينا محمد عبده ورسوله المصطفى الأمين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على عبدك ورسولك محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد so welcome back to another lesson uh, of QP and insha'Allah ta'ala today we're going to continue with our tafsir of Surah al-Shams. So last week we covered a number of verses uh, and it's going to take a long time if I do a detailed recap of those verses but inshallah ta'ala just very briefly so that we we can kind of like uh, link all of these verses together. Uh, we know that the beginning portion of Surah al-Shams, the first number of verses, seven, eight verses, they are all Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala taking a number of oaths. And Allah Azza as we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, he begins the surah by taking an oath uh, of the sun, taking an oath by the sun and its brightness. Uh, and hence why the surah is named after the sun, it is known as surah al-Shams Last week we then continued from verse two, uh, and then three, four, five, and six, like four or five verses, in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes a Number of oaths also. So Allah Azza wa Jail begins by taking an oath by the sun, but then Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala follows up that oath by a number of other oaths. So Allah Azza wa Jail takes an oath by the moon and how it follows the sun. We mentioned that in some detail last week in terms of what that's referring to and the different ways that that can possibly be understood. And not only that, but what the uh, what Sheikh Muhammad al Amin al Taala said concerning how each one of these things that Allah azza wa Jal mentions, be it the sun, be it the moon, be it the night, the day, whatever it may be, each one of them is an amazing sign from the signs of Allah azza wa in and of themselves in their own right. But then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala attaches to each one of these signs of his a an attribute, a description. And so Allah azza wa will speak about the sun and its brightness or whether he speaks about the moon and the way that it follows the sun, or whether he speaks about the day and its brightness, or whether he speaks about the night and how he conceals the sun, each one Allah gives to it its own particular, uh, if you like, uh, attribute its own description, and that is to show another side or another uh, dimension of the signs of Allah So yes they are signs in and of themselves, they are amazing. But also what is amazing about them is the way that they impact us in the way that they benefit us and the way that Allah has created them for our benefit. As Allah says in the verse in the Quran lakum ma jami'a. He is the one who created everything upon earth for you. And so we benefit from the night and the day. Yes, they are signs of Allah جل, but the way that they also impact our lives are of extreme benefit to us. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes an oath by the day uh, the daylight and its brightness by the night and the way that it conceals the sun Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then in verses 5 and 6 He takes oaths by the heavens and by the earth Allah Azza wa speaks about the the heavens and, and its creation or He takes an oath by the one who created it as we mentioned last week the word ma which can be understood as being ma al-mastariya or it can be ma by the meaning of man so either it's Allah takes an oath by the, the heavens and its creation or the heavens and by the one who created them, meaning Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so Allah takes an oath by the heavens and also by the earth and how it was laid out and spread out. And obviously everything therefore that is upon the earth in terms of what we benefit from. So all of these are from the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Each one of them has its own place, each one of them has its own uh, you know its own impact and benefit in terms of the life of of humanity, in the, in the, in the terms of our lives, and in the term in, in terms of the way that we use them. So Allah Subhanahu wa Taala then continues in verse number seven, and Allah Azza wa Jalla says, "And by the soul and how He formed it, by the soul and how He formed it." And just looking at the translations that I have in front of me. Uh, That's the one, uh, the the translation of Professor Abdul Harim. Uh, Muhsin Khan says, by nafs, and then in brackets he says, Adam, or a person, or a soul. And then he says, and him who perfected him in proportion. Uh, And then Mufti Taqi, his translation is, and by the soul and the one who made it, well, And Sahih International, and by the soul and he who proportioned it just focusing on that translation of Muhsin Khan when he says by nafs and then he in, in brackets in in parentheses he says Adam or a person or a soul immediately shows to you that there is some uh, you know perhaps there's some discussion in terms of what is being referred to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this verse he takes an oath now by another element and that is uh, the human creation itself so everything that has proceeded before in the previous six verses is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala taking an oath by different types of His creation that we can see around us. Each one of them is an amazing sign. Each one of them, if you were to ponder and contemplate and reflect over it, it would lead us back to Allah azza wa and His immense power and His ability to create and provide. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now in verse number 7, Allah azza wa takes an oath by us, by ourselves. And the word that is used is the word nafs. Now the word nafs in the Quran comes with a number of meanings, which is why uh, Mohsin Khan in his in his parenthesis and this is often something which he does for those of you that have read that translation and, and paid attention to it when often he comes across a term that can have multiple meanings uh, in, in, in in the Arabic language or multiple meanings in the context of the Sharia what he often does is he uses the Arabic and then he'll open up brackets and sometimes those brackets can be quite long and he can he will go into some detail concerning them and he will give you often a long-winded explanation or perhaps he will Give you a number of options as he has done in this particular verse, uh, and that's because that seems to be his methodology. And Allah knows best, تعالى, uh, he took the position that it's something which requires more emphasis, more discussion. Whereas, what you will find in the vast majority of other translations, and no doubt it is an easier read by using those other translations, where they just simply choose one and they give you a word. Now, the word nafs in the Arabic language, you know, has a number of uh, a number of contexts in which it comes in, and that can therefore mean a number of different things. So, for example, uh, for example, the the uh, the translation given by Muhsin Khan, right? That, for example, it can refer to Adam alayhi salam. That's because Allah uses the word nafs in the Quran, right, Which is most most likely going to be translated, um, you know, like in most translations, either either as the soul. Or the self, right? Those are the two ones that you will find most common. And the soul obviously takes the meaning of a roh. The uh, the self means that it is a person, right? It is a human entity. The addition of Adam salam here is because there is a verse in the Quran that also refers to Adam as nafs. In the first verse of Surah Nisa, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says, "Ya ayyuhan nasu, خَلَاقَكُم مِّن نَفْسٍ واحدة. O, you, o mankind, fear your Lord who created you from a single soul. Who is the single soul that Allah created all of mankind from? It is Adam alayhi salam obviously. So therefore Adam alayhi salam is referred to in the Quran as being a nafs. Right? So the word nafs in the Quran can come with the meaning of Adam alayhi salatu The uh, other meaning that you will find is that the word Nafs refers to uh, the ruh, right, the soul, and that's also a very common, um, a very common translation that you will find. So, for example, when Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says, "Kullu nafsin every soul tastes death, right? It's referring to the soul, the spirit, because that is what death takes out from us, right? The, it is the spirit that is extracted from the body. It is the spirit that leaves the body. And by the process of that, of that extraction or that leaving of the body, that is what death is. And so that's what you find in those hadith that we're very familiar with, those hadith in which the Prophet wasallam spoke and gave to us in some detail the journey of the soul after death. It is the soul that is leaving, right? And no doubt that obviously affects the body as well. But when Allah subhanahu wa taala says, Nafs, it is the meaning of the ruh, right? That's what's being extracted from the body. But then it also comes in other parts in the Qur'an or other verses, other passages in the Qur'an. The word nafs can mean the actual human, right? Uh, for example, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, uh, لَا يَنْفَعُ نَفْسًا إيمانها لَمْ مِنْ قَبْلِ right? So when Allah azza wa says on the day that you will see some of the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with some of the scholars, uh, made of that it is the sun rising from the west Allah says no person will benefit then. no nafs meaning no person will benefit from any additional iman right? so you don't benefit from anything more in terms of iman and there are possibly other verses in the Quran that speak to those meanings as well the point of this being that the word nafs can come in a number of different contexts in the book of Allah what you will find therefore that is why Mohsin Khan has given you that selection rather than choosing one he has given you that selection. What seems to be the case here and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best is that it is referring to the human body, right? It is referring to the entity, the human themselves, as opposed to the spirit, although the spirit is connected to the body. And that's why, as we will see in some of the statements of some of the scholars of tafsir, they mention kind of both aspects, right? They mention the physical, uh, the physical aspect of human of human of human beings, and they also mention the spiritual aspect as well. Therefore, the one that we can discount, and the one that you don't really find in the in the statements of the scholars of tafsir, as in terms of the tafsir of this particular verse, anyway, is that it's referring to Adam alayhi salam himself. Meaning, just Adam alayhi salam. Rather, it seems to be that it is more general, as Sheikh Al-Althami taala says, that even though it is the singular word or form that is used here wa-nafsin, and the word nafs is a singular form, even though it is a singular form that is used. The meaning is obviously the whole of the species, meaning all of humans. So the sign that Allah Azza wa Jalla is saying is وَنَفْسِمُ and Allah Azza wa Jalla takes an oath by the nafs, right? And that's because the nafs is something which is amazing. right? The nafs is something which is amazing. The spirit that Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed in the body and the human body anyway, in terms of what it is, is something which is amazing. But the spiritual side, which is if we were to take the aspect of the spirit connected to the body, the spirit is something which, despite all of technology, despite all of science and all of medicine and everything, no one really has ever been able to understand that aspect of a ruh. What is the Ruh? What is its connection? What is its uh, function? How does it work? Where where does it even contain within the body? Is it just in the heart or is it in the mind or is it in both? You will find all of these discussions that people have. And that is because all of us know that we have this internal, uh, you know, something within us, right? Something that is inside of us. And that is why when a person dies, their body remains, right? That person could be extremely young and fit and healthy. And so in terms of their physical demeanor, their physical uh, outlook, their physical shape and body and so on, appearance, it is exactly the same. What has left is the spirit. Right? Now in simple medical terms, you know, we would consider that to be the heartbeat or whatever it is. That's the way that, that these things are now judged. But actually we know from our tradition, from what we believe as Muslims, is that that is the spirit that Allah Azza wa Jalla has removed from the body. And that is why when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, you know, as is he, as mentioned in the Quran, they ask you concerning the spirit say that it is from the affairs of my Lord and you have been given very little of that knowledge Right? and that is why it is something amazing and you only need to read for example the book of Ibn al-Qayyim that he wrote concerning the spirit to see how many different dimensions there are it is not just in terms of the way that it is related or connected and this is something which Allah Azza will mention in the next verse it's not only just connected to the way that we, we approach good and evil, right deeds and bad deeds and so on and so forth. That is something which which uh, which is one aspect. But the ruh, even in terms of, for example, the way that our dreams work, right? The way that sometimes you experience something and you think that perhaps you've seen it before. What some people call deja vu or some type of, of, of feeling that you've seen it or something. The way that it works in terms of. Uh, how the the heart, or how sometimes we are inspired to feel one way or another—all of these things that are the matters of the heart—that are that are things that only Allah Subhanahu wa Taala knows, because He's kept that knowledge with Himself Subhanahu wa Taala. But we can glimpse, right, and we can glean from the many verses and from the many hadith of the Prophet wasallam, different aspects that are mentioned. And some of these will come up in the tafsir of this surah now as well because these verses, now we're getting to what is called the Jawab Al-Qasim. We're still taking, or Allah Azza wa is still taking the oaths, but we're coming to the point for which Allah Azza wa Jalla has taken all of these oaths for. And so we're coming, if you like, to the you know the goal of the surah or the main, uh, the main uh, gem and pearl of the surah. And so that's something which is going to come. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks and He takes His oath by the soul. And the soul is something, as we said, which is amazing. But not only by the soul, وَمَا سَوَّهَا And the way that it has been formed, the way that it has been proportioned, the way that it is it is there in terms of its, 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 its own creation. And that now obviously goes back to the physical form of the human body, but also the original spiritual form of the ruh and the soul. Al-Imam Al-Tabari, ta'ala, he said, وَنَفْسِ وَمَا sawaha And the word, سَوَّهَا وَمَا sawaha As we mentioned last week in verses number uh, 5 and 6, وَالْسَمَاءِ وَمَا بَنَاهَا وَالْأَرْضِ وَمَا طَحَهَا That the ma can be mustariya or it can be the one who created. So either it's Allah Azza Jal taking an oath by the soul and its forming or formation and its proportion or it is Allah Azza Jal saying and by the soul and by the one who formed it. Meaning that Allah Azza wa Jalla is taking an oath by himself. And this is, as, as was the case in those verses, the position of Imam al-Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala is that it is Allah Azza wa Jalla taking an oath by himself subhanahu wa ta'ala. So anyway, he says, wa وَتَسْوِيَتِهَا Allah Azza wa Jalla is taking an oath by the soul and also by the way that it has been formed. And perhaps in a clearer way, uh, in a clearer wording or in a clearer form, a clearer form. Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah taala, he says in the tafsir of this verse, Ay right? and this is the one that that uh, that um, uh, Sheikh Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah taala. He, this is the tafsir that he also also used because essentially what Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah taala, is doing is his joining between the physical formation and the physical meaning of the word nafs which is the human body in its physical appearance but also the fitrah right which is what takes place in the heart and in the ruh and in the soul and he kind of joins between the two so when Allah takes an oath by the soul and how he formed it how he proportioned it how he made people then Allah is taking an oath not only by the human body as an amazing um, as an amazing uh creation in and of itself an amazing sign from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the way that our brain functions, the way that the blood flows in our bodies, the way that we breathe, the way that our liver and kidneys and all of those different internal organs that we have to the extent that each and every single part of our body, when it works by the permission of Allah seamlessly, in a way that Allah Azza wa has decreed it to do so and by His permission and His mercy, Subhanahu wa Ta'ala, it is amazing. And it is we that have been able to do you know, in terms of like the human mind by Allah's permission, in terms of the different technological advances and the way that people have, have invented things and the way that the world has has formed and the way that the world has advanced in so many different fields. That is all to do with that small little part of the human body called the brain, right? And the way that people think and the way that people understand and the way that people, people innovate and create and so on and so forth, all obviously under the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so that is Allah azza wa jal saying that the human body is an amazing sign. But then not only that, it's proportioning, if you just look at the physical side, the proportioning of the human body and the way that it is formed, the fact that we are able to stand upright, right? The fact that we have uh, not only hands, and feet, but that we have fingers and digits and uh, we are extremely flexible and versatile in the way that we can move our fingers and our hands and our arms and our elbows, the way that Allah has created us. Where, because if you were to compare us to, for example, other animals, animals that can only, for example, um, you know, as Allah says, There are certain creatures on the earth that only move on their bellies. They only slide and slither. And there are others that walk on two legs and others that walk on four. Each one of them is slightly different. For humans, Allah has given them the best of that in terms of the way that our eyes and the way that we are proportioned, in the way that we move, in the way that we we interact, in the way that we can do things. And so, for example, most animals don't have the versatility within their hands and and so on to be able to eat and break things up and invent things and use different tools and so on. You don't really find that in in the vast majority of the animal world. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave that ability to the humans, right? Gave that ability to the humans that they are able to go and do that. And so Allah Azza, when he takes an oath and he says, سوواها, They're proportioning the formation of the human body and the way that Allah Azza created, it's similar, very similar to the verse that we took in uh, in Surah ahsani team Indeed, we have created humankind in the best of form and fashion. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created us in the best way. And so the way that we're able to interact, the way that we're able to speak to one another. The way that we were able to move, the way that we were able to to do things, and and whatever there is no doubt that Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala favoured Bani Adam, as Allah Azza mentions himself in the Quran. Bani Adam. We have given Bani Adam, the children of Adam, we have honoured them, right? And so humans, despite us being land creatures, we can travel in the oceans, we can travel in the air, we are travelling in land, and so that's something which Allah Azzurajal has given us the ability to do by using those different tools at our disposal and by using the minds that Allah has given us to use as well. But then there is a second meaning to that and that is the fitratul qawima that Allah also created us, Allah also created us in in terms of our spiritual self of being sub-people who are upon a true and clean fitrah. Every child that is born has a sense of what is right and what is wrong and from that right and wrong is that they believe in the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as the Prophet said wasalam, in the famous hadith mauludin yula du al-fitra." Every child is born upon the fitra. And then there is their circumstances, their society, the people around them, their parents, their families, whatever else it may be. That is what changes them and what corrupts their fitra. So from the signs of Allah جل, is that he created humans to be able to be upon that fitra. And so that is what Ibn Kathir he combines between the two. And so, as humans, we have this innate thing within us that we know what is right and what is wrong. And essentially, for Muslims, that is what is pleasing to Allah and what is displeasing to Him. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. The teacher of our teacher, Sheikh Muhammad Al-Amin al Taala, he said, and so all of these, or this particular oath of Allah, taken oath by the human body or the human soul comes after all of those other signs that Allah Azzawajal has placed in the universe. So if you were to look at all of the oaths that Allah Azzawajal has taken, Allah mentions the sun, then He mentions the moon, then He mentions the daylight, then He mentions the night, then He mentions the heavens, then He mentions the earth. And it is only after all of them that Allah Azzawajal mentions the human body. And so He says, and that is to show that humans should spend time reflecting and pondering over those other great signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So they're mentioned first essentially and then the human is mentioned last in terms of the, the, the order of these oaths that Allah azajal mentions in Surah Al-Shams so that a person may reflect upon those other signs first and foremost because each one of them leads them back to thinking of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is why the Prophet sallallahu Alaihi wasallam as is mentioned in the hadith of Ibn Abbas radiyallahu Anhu and Sahih al-Bukhari and muslim when he spent the night with his, in the house of his aunt Maymuna anha, one of the wives of the Prophet. And he spent that night there because he wanted to observe the way in which the Prophet وسلم, would pray during the night. And he says that the Prophet وسلم, woke up and he woke up and he recited the final ten verses of Surah Ali Imran. And that those ten verses begin with the statement of Allah Azza wa Jal Wal indeed in the creation of the heavens and the earth the alternation of the night and the day there are signs for a people of understanding allatheena yadhkuruna allaha qiyaman wa qu'udan wa ala junubihim wa yatafakkaruna fi khalqis samawati wal ard rabbana ma khalaqta hadha batila subhanaka faqina adhaban nar there are those who remember allah azza wa jalla standing sitting and lying on their sides showing that if you really want to be able to contemplate one of the greatest things that helps you in contemplation is by remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and being attached to Allah Jal, because it opens up your mind to be able to reflect in the way that Allah Azza wants you to reflect. And they think and they ponder, Allah Azza goes on to say, in the creation of the heavens and the earth, and they come to the realization and they say, Oh our Lord, you do not create this in futility, in jest, and glory be to you, save us from the punishment of the fire. So that is the statement of Shaykh Muhammad Al-Amin, as-shanqiti ta'ala. So when you ponder all over all of that, that is something which leads you undoubtedly back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is why Allah azza wa Jalla says that if a person uses their human body, the physical side, as well as the spiritual side in the way that Allah azza wa wants them, in the way that Allah azza wa created it in its original form, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that it's something which leads a person to be able to know right from wrong. So in verse number 8, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَأَلْهَمَهَا فُجُورَهَا وَتَقْوَاهَا And inspired it to know its own rebellion and piety. And that's the translation of uh, Professor Abdul Halim. Muhsin Khan says, and then he showed him what is wrong for him and what is right for him. And Mufti Taqi then inspired it with its instincts of evil and piety. And Sahih International inspired it with discernment of its wickedness and its righteousness. And each one of them is actually very similar. Each one of them essentially is taken from different statements of the scholars of Tafsir, uh, from the early scholars of Tafsir. Each one of them kind of gave a slightly different one. But as you can see, very similar in terms of what it is that Allah is, that is being referred to here. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in verse number 8, فَالْحَمَّهَ He inspired it. Now, the word ilham right means inspiration. And it can mean also revelation in terms of the revelation that is given to the Prophets of Allah and the Messengers of Allah Meaning that it's something which Allah gives to a person, it is a form from the forms of revelation, Ilham But Ilham is something which is not restricted only to the Prophets of Allah But rather it's something which can be given to others as well, right? from other than the Prophets of Allah And it's similar in that sense to the dreams as the Prophet ﷺ said, a truthful dream, a righteous dream, is one of the 70 parts of prophethood. Meaning, one of the ways in which the Prophets of Allah receive revelation is through a dream. Right? So someone who sees a dream and it comes true, that means that they have something which also the Prophets had. Does it make them a prophet? Does not mean that every single one of their pro- dreams will come true? But it is a portion of one of those portions of Prophethood that Allah ﷺ gave to the Prophets of Allah subhanahu wa Taala. Ilham is something very similar. Ilham is something very similar. In the Hadith, I believe it's in Sahih Muslim, when the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said that they used to be from amongst those nations that came before you, amongst those people, they would be what the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam called muhtathun, people who were inspired to speak the truth and their inspiration was in accordance to what Allah wanted. فَإِنْ يَكُنْ فِي أُمَّتِي فهو عمر. So if there is someone like that in my nation, then it is Umar Now Umar is someone who was mulham, right? he was someone who was inspired, someone who understood what was correct and what wasn't correct because Allah gave him that ability. And ilham essentially is having that strong feeling in your heart and it gives you a sense of of peace and serenity that this is something which is right and this is something which is wrong. Now each one of us have that to a a, 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 a greater or lesser extent. Each one of us have it to a basic level. That basic level is mentioned in the hadith in which the Prophet was asked to describe what is bir, righteousness, and what is Ithm, sin. And so he said, Al-Ithmu ma fi wa Sin is that which perturbs you internally. It makes your heart uneasy. So even if a person tries to justify it or whatever it may be, you know someone for example who's taking uh, interest or someone who's dealing for example in alcohol or someone who's de- dealing in drugs whatever it may be even if they try to rationalize it and and, 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 and justify it logically and, and try to make a 101 excuses but in their heart they're not content that feeling of being discontent and sometimes it's also that a person dislikes that others should know this about them right and sometimes it's not because some people just le- lose that sense of haya they lose that sense of, of of shame and embarrassment in front of others because they're so engrossed in that sin. But still, within their hearts, they know that it's not right, despite what they may say to justify it or else or otherwise. That is how the Prophet ﷺ described sin, and so the definition the Prophet gave for sin is not a you know a technical definition. It's not a wordy definition. It's not like oh no, but if you do this and then you do that. And clearly, there is one right because the definition of sin is if it goes against the Quran, it goes against the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. It's haram. It's sin. Right? If you're doing something which they told you not to do, that is sin. But the Prophet didn't define it in those terms. He defined it in a different way. And that definition was given in a way that reflects the heart, right? the soul, the nafs. Because Allah Azzawajal says, fujuraha wa taqwaha, Allah inspired it to know what is good and what is wrong. What is righteous and what is not righteous. And as for albir, it is as for righteousness, is what is what gives you tranquility and peace in your heart. Brings you peace and inner peace and tranquility. That is what is righteousness. But at a higher level, right, ilham isn't something which is given to each and every single person. It is something which Allah gives to certain people and He doesn't give to other people. So from amongst those people as we know that had it was Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu an, and on a number of occasions the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam was given revelation in accordance with something which Umar had already felt strongly about and he already gave to um you know he already spoke about openly to the Prophet be that for example that the wives of the Prophet should cover, be that for example that the Prophet should take the maqam of Ibrahim as a place of prayer, be that for example that the people should stay away from alcohol and so on. whatever it was, a number of occasions Umar ibn Khattab spoke and Allah Aj revealed the Quran in accordance to what He said, radhiyallahu anhu That is something which the Prophet spoke about in terms of Umar, an. And it's possible that it can happen to other people. Sometimes you have an extremely strong feeling, right? Sometimes, for example, it may be a business dealing, it may be something to do with a proposal in marriage, it may be whatever it may be, and you have a very strong uh, sense, a very strong feeling, one way or another. That is a type of ilham. Now, the difference between that and wahi is that you don't base uh, decisions upon that, right? You don't base, it's not halal, it's not a ruling for others. It's something which, as long as it's in accordance to the Quran and the Sunnah, then maybe it's a sign from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so, as long as it's not telling you to do something which is haram, because if it is, then that is as is described in the hadith, that's shaitan's whisperings to you. But if it's in accordance to the Sharia, it's something which is halal, it's something which is uh, permissible for you to do but then you just feel like that's not a good thing to do. I just don't want to go down there. That's not a good job for me to take. That's not a good country for me to move to. That's not a good university for me to to study at. Whatever it may be, then that may well be ilham from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so Allah azza wa gives people this type of ilham, right? And from the ilham that is given to each person, and that's the one that we mentioned in terms of the hadith when the Prophet was, was describing and defining righteousness and sin, is what Allah Azza wa Jalla says. Every soul Allah Azza wa Jalla says was inspired to know its own rebellion. Right? Fujur means sin and evil, rebellion, and taqwa, which is piety and consciousness and righteousness. Ibn Abbas رضي الله عنهما said in his tafsir between the خير meaning that you know the path of righteousness as opposed to the path of evil. And Qatada رحمه الله تعالى, he said. Allah has made clear for people what is sin and clear for people what is righteousness. Now, clearly, if people are upon the good and, and true fitrah, right? Because even now, despite people uh, having different religions and different beliefs and different philosophies and so on and so forth, there are certain things that everyone across the world agrees upon every country, every civilization, every society, irrespective of how they govern and who governs them and what religion they may follow or what school of you know politics they may, they may come from or wherever it may be, they pretty much agree on certain things. For example, stealing, right? No good, murder, no good, right? Certain things, fraud, defrauding people and so on. These are things that whichever you go to Morris in every single society, they are sins, right? They are crimes. They are things which people won't stand for. Why don't they stand for? why don't they stand for because it is something which they have agreed upon Allah has given people the ability to know the difference between the two usually in a society when those things are outlawed it's because it goes against the greater good right if people just go around killing people or stealing from people it breaks down the whole society breaks down the whole community and what is needed in order to have stability there now obviously in our sharia we know that the prophet or we know generally from reading from the sharia that islam came to preserve five essential things our religion our intellect our wealth our honor uh, our 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 bodies Right? these are the five things that the sharia came to preserve these are the things that you need to preserve in order to have harmony in society and in the way that people live and so Allah says that we have made clear for you or that it has been made clear Qatada says that the meaning of this verse is that it has been made clear what is fujur what is sin from what is piety and al-dahaq Ibn Muzahim rahim, uh, rahimahullah ta'ala, said something very similar. He said, At-ta'a right? The difference between obedience to Allah and disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Imam al bukhari Ta'ala he said something very similar. He taught people what will bring them happiness as to what uh, as opposed to what will make them wretched. And all of these are very similar. And so when we look at the translations and some say the path of God as as opposed to evil or the path of obedience as opposed to disobedience or the path of, of happiness as opposed to unhappiness and so on. And you can see that all of these are very similar in their statements and all of them have a predecessor before them in terms of the scholars of old who said something very similar. And that's why Ibn al-Imam al Taala, he kind of mentioned more than one in his own tafsir and he said, فَبَيَّنَ لَهَا مَا يَنْبَغِي لَهَا أَن تَأْتِيَ أو مِنْ خَيْرٍ أو شَرٍ أو أو Allah made it clear for the soul that which it should do or it should leave of good and evil of obedience or disobedience. right? And essentially he says and that is the statement of all of the scholars with tafsir because all of them despite the differences that they may have in wordings it is very very similar in terms of the essence of it. And so we have this type of ilham, right? we have this type of that Allah has given, an inspiration that Allah oh, inspired each and every single person to know and that is why a person when they turn to Allah جل, and they come closer to Allah Subhanahu wa taala, they feel that that serenity, that peace, that tranquility of the heart and that is because Allah has given the soul that ability to know and recognize what is good for it and therefore to be at inner peace with it In verse number 9, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says And now we come to the Jawabul Qasim. Right? This is now the, the reason for which all of those oaths were taken And that is The one who purifies his soul succeeds right? The one who purifies his soul succeeds Muhsin Khan in his translation he said Indeed the, the, he succeeds who purifies his own self and in brackets obeys and performs all that Allah ordered by following the true faith of Islamic monotheism and by doing righteous good deeds Mufti Taqi, success is really attained by him, who purifies it and Sahih International, he has succeeded, Who purifies it This is essentially the jawab al Qasim. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala after, after mentioning everything else now Allah Azzawajal says this is the reason for which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has taken the oath and that is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that if you want success it is to do with you purifying yourself, right? And that is what we often call or what is often called today as this nafs, right? Purification of the soul. Shaykh Muhammad al Amin al shinqiti Rahimahullah Ta'ala, he said, Allah Azza wa takes an oath by seven things or seven signs from the signs that Allah Azza has placed within this creation. He takes an oath by the sun, the moon, the night and the day, the heavens and the earth and by human, humans, the human creation themselves. And with each one of them, each one of these oaths, Allah Azzawajal also gives an attribute, a description for each one of them. And he says, all of that is for one thing. And that is to express this particular or central principle that those who purify their souls will succeed and those who do not will fail. So Allah جل, when He says Zakkaha, it shows to us the very important need to constantly purify ourselves, right? To purify your soul in terms of uh, doing good deeds, in terms of coming closer to Allah, جل, in terms of remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The soul is something which needs nourishment, it needs cleansing. So just as our bodies need cleansing, right, just as, as our clothes need cleansing, just as our outer appearance needs cleansing then our inner self, our in, inner soul or the soul within us also needs cleansing. And that is done through worship. It is done through coming closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's nourishment, it's cleansing. It is by reading the Quran and understanding the Quran and studying your religion and making remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is why in the hadith in which the Prophet sallallahu Alaihi gave the example of the five prayers, he gave the example of the one who outside of the house has a river. And five times every day and night they bathe in it. Five times a day they go in and they bathe. The Prophet ﷺ asked the question, Would there be any dirt upon that person, any individual, that individual? Five times a day and night you're bathing. Right? So, you know, forget about showering once a day, you're doing it five times. Would there be any dirt left? They said, No, Messenger of Allah. Five times a day and night, the Prophet ﷺ said, Then that is the example of the one who prays. Right? But obviously the dirt that we're talking about here is not the uh, is not the uh, you know it's not the the debt of 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 the physical self but rather the the debt and the sins of the spiritual self Ibn Abbas عنهما, he said in his uh in his tafsir the one who succeeds is the one that Allah has purified and you have a uh, and then you have similar statements from the likes of Saeed bin Jubair and Ikrimah and others. And Qatada ta'ala, he said And as for the one who purifies themselves with righteous deeds and they are the ones who succeed. Now there is a difference between these two statements the statement of Ibn Abbas anhuma, and the statement of Qatada and others. The difference that you will find is a very small difference but the difference being that some of the scholars said that the meaning of this verse is that it is Allah who purifies so the meaning of qataf min the one that will succeed is the one that Allah purifies them Allah purifies them Allah purifies them in terms of accepting their good deeds and guiding them towards the path of righteousness and helping them to obey him and so on and so forth the other statement which is the statement of qatada is that the person is purified by their own deeds and actions right and both of them are you know are connected obviously because the one who does so through their own actions only does so by the permission of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But is the verse referring primarily to Allah Azza wa Jal and His favor as to the one whom He chooses to be purified and guided and so on? Or is it through the efforts of the person themselves, right? That they are the ones who are working harder and because of their good deeds and because of so and so, on and so on, that is why they have attained righteousness or they have attained success. You will find these two positions amongst the scholars of Tafsir, and you will find a slight difference of opinion amongst them. Al Imam Al Tabari may Taala, he favored position number 1 right the former position which was the statement of Ibn Abbas may Allah he said "Qad aflaha man namma Allah nafsuh" so he increased it by purifying it from disbelief and sins and the one who is successful is the one that Allah Azza wa Almighty has purified and the word haskia as we know right was zakka right has a dual meaning very similar to the word zakka the first meaning is to be purified but the second meaning is an increase, right? And that is why we often say that zakah is an increase in wealth. Comes from that root meaning of the word. Zakka Yuzeki or zakah yazku. And that is that one meaning refers to purification. The other one refers to an increase. So as you're purifying yourself, you're increasing, right? You're increasing in reward, you're increasing in nearness to Allah, وجل, you're increasing in goodness. And so both of those meanings are, are mentioned here. Imam Al-Tabari says that is done by a person cleansing themselves from disbelief and sins and by rectifying themselves by doing many good deeds. However, Imam Ibn Qayyim, ta'ala, he favored the other position. And he said that the stronger position is that it is referring to a person and their own actions. That Allah purifies those who choose to purify themselves through their deeds. So clearly there is a connection between the two because when a person does those good deeds and Allah accepts them, then that is Allah purifying them on the basis of their good deeds. But the reason why Ibn Qayyim chose that is because he said the first one can have the meaning or some people used it incorrectly to understand that you don't have a choice. right? Those people who said that it's only up to Allah and we don't have a choice and we have no say over anything, they used that as a a proof, that type of tafsir, even though that's not the meaning of the scholars who said that. But they took it to mean that it's up to Allah. If Allah chooses chooses to purify us, we'll be purified. And if Allah doesn't choose, then that means that we're not to be chosen in that regard. Ibn Qayyim dismissed that and he said that's an incorrect thing. And then he also said, and one of the reasons that shows that it is a person's actions first and foremost is that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala generally speaks about success in the Qur'an, it is always connected to the actions of people. right? And here as well, قَدْ أَفْلَحَ مَنْ It is the one who chooses or tries to purify themselves that Allah says will be successful. And like for example, as Allah says at the beginning of Surah Al-Mu'minun, قَدْ أَفْلَحَ الْمُؤْمِنُونَ The believers are successful and then he links it to a number of actions مخاشعون, and then so on and so forth Right, those who have khushu in their prayers and the verses go on it is linked to those actions Allah Azawajil is saying these are the people who try to purify themselves they do so by performing those actions otherwise it, is, it can also be misunderstood by some people as meaning that no it's just simply a matter of the heart right? if Allah purifies us as long as I have a good and pure heart I don't need to uh, you know, pray, I don't need to fast, I don't necessarily need to do any good deeds. It is an internal state only. And that is also something which you will find some people saying. And so he dismisses both of those kinds of understandings, but not dismissing the position of you know, the likes of Imam Tabari and others, because clearly it is a position that was chosen by a number of the scholars and companions, but their meaning by that is not the same as some people misunderstood it to be. So Allah describes those people as being those who have uh, succeeded, the one who purifies his soul succeeds and they do that as we said by turning to Allah, by making dua, by worshipping Allah and if that person tries the most to, to, to purify themselves then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will respond accordingly and Allah will help them and He will increase them in guidance, increase them in goodness. But in verse number 10, because it is uh, also linked to the previous verses, so I want to cover this inshallah before we, we conclude today. Allah then says, qad And the one who corrupts it fails. Essentially being the opposite of verse number 9. Uh, in the translation of Mahsin Khan, And indeed he fails who corrupts his own self. And then in brackets disobeys what Allah has ordered. By rejecting the true faith of Islamic monotheism, or by following polytheism, or by doing every kind of evil, wicked deed, Mufti Taqi says, and failure is really suffered by him who pollutes it. And Sahih International, and he has failed who instills it with corruption. Right? He instills it. Who instills it with corruption? Uh, Mujahid and Said ibn Jubair, Alihi They said that the meaning of the of the word the one of them said, and The other one said, Those who take it away from the path of guidance, those who misguide it. So when a person turns away, and so the only way, essentially what Allah is telling us here, the only way that we can achieve inner peace and tranquility and uh, purify ourselves internally is by taking the path that Allah has laid out for us. There is no other way to reach that. There is no other way to reach that. And so the only way that is achieved is when we Marry the two. We marry what Allah has told us to do and stay away from that which Allah has prohibited us from. If we try to find that peace and tranquility, that success in any other path, in any other direction, then it's something which won't work. And that's why those scholars said that it is the meaning of the saha means those who misguide their own souls, right? They misguide their own souls by turning away from the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Qatada said, and those, the saha means those who. Make it sin. Who corrupted and polluted through sin and through disobedience of Allah, Subhanahu wa Al-imam, uh, Taala. al Imam Al Tabari, rahimahullah, he said, "وَقَدْ uh, Khaba Allah Azza wa Jalla says, "وَقَدْ خَابَ". The one uh, he has failed. فَلَمْ يُدْرِكْ مَعَ طَلْبَتِهِ فَلَمْ يُدْرِكْ مَا طَلَبَ وَالْتَمَسْنِي Meaning, Allah Azza wa Jalla says that those people have failed essentially saying that each and every single person is seeking and wanting happiness, right? Every person seeks happiness and people think that different things will bring them that happiness. And that is why you find people who have all sorts of material wealth, but internally, inside, within themselves, in their hearts, they're extremely sad and they live a miserable life, despite all of the trappings of the dunya that are at their possession or in their possession. So, what each and every person essentially wants is to have that inner state of happiness. Their heart, they want it to be content and tranquil and at peace. And sometimes they may achieve it temporarily, sometimes they don't. And so, Allah, so Imam Tawbidi is saying that those people have failed who thought that they could achieve that by finding a way other than the path of righteousness. And then he says, the saha, those people who have taken instead the path of Disobeying Allah Azza and leaving the obedience of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, they have essentially humiliated themselves, and by doing so, they have attained failure, right? And so we have the Jawab al Qasim. Therefore, after Allah Azza takes those seven verses of oaths and so on and so forth, eight verses of oaths. Allah then says, those who have succeeded are those who make tazkiyah of their nafs, they purify their souls through the worship of Allah and through Iman. And those people who don't do that, then essentially they have not purified themselves and therefore they will have failure and damnation in this life and in the next. And Allah knows best. So let me take some questions that we have here. Um, Sumaira is asking, is there a difference between ilham and firasah? So some of the scholars said that there is a difference between them. Some of them said that firasa is something which is uh which is only for certain people. It's a very limited thing. So it's like almost exclusive, like it's not as wide as Ilham. Many people can have a type of Ilham where you feel very strongly about something. What firasa is, and it's mentioned in the hadith in which the Prophet ﷺ said, firasat al mu'min. Beware of the firasa of the believer. Firasa is an acumen, it's an insight where you see someone and you kinda you kinda gauge them and you get a A feeling of them and it's not just based upon you know just a feeling of of, of what is in the heart but it's based upon you being able to see certain things and read certain people in a certain way that's something which uh, certain people have but it's not something which many people have whereas Ilham at least at the basic level of having tranquility in the heart or not having tranquility is something which is far more common and that is one difference that you will find that some of the scholars uh, some of the scholars made and Allah knows best uh, is asking, just need guidance and ilham and dreams. Can you suggest on the book uh, a book on the interpretation of dreams? What I got from you about ilham is the ability to understand what's correct and wrong. I thought it's intuition. Uh, ilham is uh, the ability to understand what's correct and wrong. It's a feeling in the heart that you have, right? That's based upon knowledge of the Quran and the Sunnah. So if you, for example, thought that something was right, but Allah made a haram in the Quran, then clearly that's not ilham, right? It's a type of, uh, of feeling that you have in the heart that is based upon guidance, based upon you knowing that actually what you're doing is correct or that it is uh, incorrect, uh, as the case may be. Um, but, but this is why uh, you know, Ibn, Ibn Hajar, ta'ala, when he speaks about this in his, in his book, Fath al-Bari, he says that Allah, azza wa jal, that the Prophet, when he spoke about dreams, he said that it is from the types of prophethood. But when he spoke about ilham, he didn't say the same things. In the hadith of Umar radiyallahu an, you know, being someone who is mulham, someone who has that ability to kind of discern and know the truth and so on. He didn't say that that's a form of of prophethood. Right? And so Ibn Hajj rahman ta'ala makes that distinction. He said why? Because sometimes people's ilham can be wrong. Sometimes people have a very strong intuition and they think that it's something which is good, but actually it's not actually very good. It's actually from Shaitan, right? It's not actually something which is very good. And that's why the Prophet didn't say that it is from the parts of prophethood. Why? Because some people think that they have a very strong feeling, but because it's not based on knowledge, right? Because shaitan has come and played tricks on them, they don't know the ability. And that's why it's very important to remember that rulings are not based upon this, right? It's something which should be used if you like as just an additional thing. So if you're someone who knows that something that you're doing, you know, is good, it's halal, there's no problems with it, and you're praying istikhara and you're praying istikhara, and then you just have a very strong feeling, that's in ham, right? It's not based on anything but to make a ruling out of it in terms of saying that no, this is haram in our religion and there's no proof for it being haram or it's halal and there's no proof for it being halal or you, you know, doing it in that kind of way that's why Ibn Hajar makes that distinction and it's a nice dis- distinction to make based upon the reading of the hadith that you find that speak about these things. In terms of interpretation of dreams it's not something which I uh, which I have looked into and uh, it's not something which I um, am very familiar with no, doubt there is Uh, there are scholars who know this and it's something which they can do. And that's, you know, also something which um, requires knowledge because, and that's also one of the differences that some of the scholars made between Ilham and between dreams, why one is considered to be a part of prophethood and the other isn't. Because the interpretation of dreams, for those people that know it, it is based upon clear principles. They have clear principles as to how it works and that is how they make interpretation of dreams. It's not just someone turns up and just starts, you know, rambling or babbling Uh, you know, randomly. It's something which is based upon, upon, uh, you know, certain, um, certain rulings and so on and certain principles. And then part of it is firasa, that person being able to look at that person that's in front of them and read their situation and know that that's actually what it refers to that person in, in terms of their context, right? And that is why you have, you know, in in the stories, and we don't have time to go through them now, but if you look at, for example, Ibn Sirin, Muhammad Ibn Sirin was considered to be someone who was gifted in this realm, Sometimes a person would come to him with exactly the same dream and he would interpret them in two different ways. He had his principles, but part of it is also having firas of understanding the person in front of him. But that's uh, something which is different. And it's not something which should which unfortunately people today consider to be something which is very, important and something which has a great amount of importance to it to the extent that people you know really get pent up about dreams that they're having and so on that's not our sharia necessarily it's not something which you should spend so much time and effort expending you know looking at terms of in terms of what those dreams are and what they can be mean and, and what they mean and how they can possibly influence your life No that it has its place and it has its position but at the same time it's not something which you know you should become overly fixated with either because the Prophet sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam didn't really overly fixate his companions with that. And in the Prophet wasallam, all of his interpretations are, are clear, right? And all of his interpretations are going to be correct. But at the same time, the Prophet didn't say to the companions, always come to me. He would interpret the dreams of those companions that were around him. But it wasn't something that you will find tons and tons of hadith on. And when other companions were trying to do it, the Prophet wouldn't necessarily teach them those principles. You have the famous narration of Abu Bakr, an, a man came to the Prophet wasallam, and he had a dream. And so Abu Bakr said, Oh messenger of Allah, let me interpret it. And so he interpreted it, and then he said, Oh Messenger of Allah, was I correct? He said, you were correct in some of it and you were incorrect in other parts of it. Abu Bakr said, by Allah, O oh, Messenger of Allah, you will teach me. And he makes an oath. And the Prophet said, Oh Abu Bakr, don't make oaths for things like this. Right? Don't make an oath for something like this. Right? And the Prophet didn't correct him, didn't tell him, didn't say to him that this is actually what you should have done. He just said to him, don't make an oath for something like this. And so it has its place, but at the same time, we have to understand. And so this isn't what we our religion is based upon, right? Our religion is based upon firm knowledge. Firm knowledge you take from the Quran and the Sunnah. If your concept of Islamic knowledge or Islamic enlightenment or whatever it may be, is dreams and ilham and this type of stuff, then this isn't from the way of the Salaf, it's not from the, the teachings of the Prophet Once you have that firm knowledge and that firm basis, then if those things come in, Allah gives you that ability in one way or another, that's something which you add to it in Allah uh, knows best. Can you please share where in the Quran Allah has taken an oath on human beings? The, the one that we mentioned in, in this surah, verse number seven, right? That is Allah Azza taken oath by human creation. How will we know that we are purified? So if you are coming closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and your heart is content by coming closer to Allah Azza by by uh, by worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then that is the greatest sign that Allah Azza or that you are being purified. Now if a person is praying and they're fasting and they're doing other things but at the same time their heart isn't feeling that contentment then there is a problem even sometimes in the actions that they're doing that are good and righteous. Maybe that person's sincerity there's a problem, maybe that person's khushur in their prayer is a problem, maybe that person is doing it to please others or showing off in terms of their charity and other actions that they're performing. And so when the action becomes very uh, you know like very robotic in its nature is is devoid, is is devoid of any type of Iman or devoid of any type of spirituality, that also can mean that a person doesn't feel it to the same extent. And that is why you know many of us may pray, we don't necessarily feel that strength of Iman. We read the Quran, we don't necessarily feel that strength of Iman because there is still a disconnect there. And that is why this issue of tazkiyat to nafs isn't something which you just achieve. It's not something which a goalpost that you just arrive at or you, that you find. It is a lifelong thing. You will go up and you will go down in your iman. And that's because you go up and down in the way that your soul is being purified or corrupted. Because all of us sin and we make mistakes and then inshallah we turn back to Allah and we make tawbah and we try again. But again we sin and we, it is a constant journey and struggle. And so as long as you have that sense within you, that you need to turn back to Allah, that you need to continue to try to do better, that you need to continue to work on your Salah and your Quran and your Islam, then inshallah those are all signs of goodness and Allah knows best. Um, what is the difference between Itham and Fujur, both meaning sins? Yes, both are sins, but one of the differences uh, can be that the word Fujur generally when it is mentioned is of a, a major sin or like a bigger sin. It's the sins uh, there are like uh, there, are, there, are, there are the bigger sins or the worst sins, whereas itham is just a general word for any type of sin, like like ma'asiyah, and Allah knows best. Yeah, as Mahira said, like you know, Allah gives ilham. There is ilham. People have good and people have something which is evil, right? And that is why, even in terms of dreams, the Prophet said some of those dreams are from shaitan. Beware, right? Sometimes it is shaitan playing with you and so when people don't understand the difference between the two they become pent up and, and it is something which sometimes causes more harm than it does good and Allah عزوجل uh, knows best okay so okay. let us inshallah ta'ala conclude with that bismillah ta'ala and inshallah next week we will then come and continue with uh, verse number 11 onwards barakallahu fiqum wa sallallahu nabiyya muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in wa akhiru da'wana alhamdulillah rabbil alameen